All right. Are you all ready to get into part two of Check Your Pace? Okay, one person's ready. Where are you at? I'm going to preach to you, brother. <laughs> uh, we're in a series called Check Your Pace, where we are examining the rhythms, the habits of Jesus. We're looking at the tempo and the pace of Jesus, because if we want to run a race like his, we've got to set a pace like his. If we want to move along as Jesus moved along, we need to run our race like he ran his race. We're premising this series on a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Let's read that together aloud, both campuses, just so we can get everybody back right, right in the zone. Ready? Here we go. Let's read it together out loud. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is our pace setter. To be a follower of Jesus means three things. Number one, we are educated by Jesus. In other words, we learn what he has to tell us. We, we learn his teachings. We're educated by him. Number two, we are associated with Jesus. People look at us and they go, oh, you're one of his. You belong to him. I know you because you are one of Jesus' people. And number three, we are imitators of Jesus. Meaning what we do is we look at Jesus in the scripture. We look at his rhythms. We look at his life. And then we seek to emulate that. We want to be his apprentices. That's what it means to be a disciple. We are apprenticing Jesus. And for this series, what we've been examining is that our pace in life, many of us are overhurried, overdistracted. We have been running about to and fro, and we need to check our pace so we can get on pace with Jesus. Last week, I introduced a book. I quoted from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by an author named John Mark Comer. Many of you have already read that book. In fact, the only reason I read the book is because like 20 people said, hey man, you gotta read this book. So I read this book uh, a while back and it has had a profound impact on my life and the life of my family just in terms of exploring and examining the pace of Jesus and then trying to set our pace like his pace. Uh, one of the quotes by the author that I think teased this up uh, talks about the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your soul that seeks to, to, to take away intimacy with God, the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way Comer describes the enemy is this. He says, today you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office or another soccer game on a Sunday, or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. He says both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Distraction separates us from ourselves, from each other, from our destinies, and separates us from God. Then I love this line. He says, hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments, this is him talking, not me. Listen to this. All my worst moments as a father, husband, and a pastor, even as a human being, 
or when I'm in a hurry. Anybody with me on that? All of my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor have been when I've been in a hurry. To restate, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life, and all three are incompatible with hurry. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man who is not in a hurry. We see a man who is moving through life with confidence at a sustainable pace. We see a man who is running with endurance, the race that is set before him. Last week, we looked at one of the disciplines that he uses to keep his life in pace. And the discipline is roughly called slowing. Jesus would just slow things down. Instead of rushing, in fact, when everybody else was running and rushing, he would slow things down. We talked about him being on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and there's a storm. And all of the disciples are bailing out the boat, and water is coming in, and they're trying to bail it out. So they're in a rush, they're in a hurry. And Jesus is in the stern of the boat on a cushion, on a cushion asleep. He's not worried, he's not rushed. When Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, send him word and say, our brother that you love is sick. The one you love is sick. We need you to come down here. Hurry, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to stay here for two more days, and then I'm going to go and take care of this, right? Jairus' daughter was sick. We explored her story last week, and this is a synagogue leader. His daughter was sick. She was dying, and he said to Jesus, please, Jesus, come. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go. But then when another woman who was struggling and suffering with an illness tried to uh, reach the hem of his garment, he stopped, he paused, he spent time with her. So Jesus had this discipline of slowing things down. Today we're going to look at the second discipline of Jesus. It's a discipline of silence and solitude. It's a discipline that Jesus enacted every day of his life in order to make sure that his pace was aligned with the pace of the Father. I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read this passage and then we'll come back and explore it. It says this, Mark 1, 35 through 37. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Everybody is looking for you. For the next few moments, I'm just going to teach on this one principle, this one practice in a sermon I'm calling what to do when you have too much to do. What to do when you have too much to do. Let's bow our hearts one more time. Let's pray and get our hearts ready. Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. I pray that you would capture our attention. I pray, Lord God, that today our hearts would be solely and completely focused on you. Our minds would be absorbed by your word, that we would be transformed by your word. I pray that I would speak your word in a way that is coherent and useful and true to what you have to say to us today. I pray, Lord God, that you would transform us and change us by the power of your spirit and by the strength of your word. We love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Last week, actually two weeks ago, I was running at Forest Park. And I was, it was early in the morning, and I was out there getting my, my jog in. And when I say running, there was some walking also. I mean, it was sort of a little bit of both. And so I'm out there at Forest Park, and nobody's there. It was like completely empty. Early in the morning, I'm out at Forest Park, and I'm getting ready to, to, do, to do some hills, like run up Art Hill and, and get my heart rate going. So I'm getting ready to run up Art Hill, and I see a jogger coming from, from all the way down at the edge of the, of the, of the fountain over there. 
And I didn't, I didn't know who it was, but he was just jogging towards me. And as I'm getting ready to run up the hill, I hear him say, hey, Pastor Brent, Pastor Brent. So I look over, and I didn't recognize him. It's, it's, a, it's a new uh, attendee at a church, a young man who has just started attending our church. And, and, and he recognized me, and, and he came running up. And he said, oh, hey, you don't know me, but I'm attending one family church. And we started, you know, talking to have a nice connection. And then he said, look, I know you're, you're exercising, and I'm exercising, but I have one question for you. I just have one question I want to ask you. Now, when somebody has one question for the pastor, I mean, you don't know where this question's going. It, it could go a lot of different directions. It could go deep. He might want to get into systematic theology. He might want to say, hey, when, when's the end time coming, pastor? I mean, I, do you know, like, what, he might want to get into pneumatology, so, soteriology, some of the, the deep. And so, you know, you just never know. So you're getting ready, right? You're getting ready. And he says, I have one question for you, pastor. I said, what's that? He says, how does a person with a lot of commitments and responsibilities and obligations, how does that person get it all done in the time we have? This is a young man who's a professional. He's uh, in a residency program. He's got a lot of commitments. He's got a lot of responsibility. He's got a lot of duties in his life. P plus, he probably wants to have a social life. He probably wants to have a spiritual life. He clearly wants to get his body into shape. He's, he's somebody that's got a lot going on. And so what he's really asking is, what do I do when I have too much to do? How do I get it all in and make my life work in a way that is sustainable? How can I run my race with endurance, Pastor? That's the question that he asked. Last week, I was on a phone call with another young man, a, a professional that's moving up through the corporate ladder and loves God, loves his family, and, and he's doing great. But we, we're on the phone, and right before we jump off the phone, he says, let me just ask you one question. He said, I've been reading Atomic Habits. I've been reading Deep Work. By, I've been reading all of these time management books, and I'm trying to figure out how do I prioritize my life so that I can get done what's important and not do the stuff that's not important. How do I do this? How, what do I do when I have too much to do? These individuals are not alone. There's a, a, a recent study, uh, an analysis of Gallup data by the Harvard Business School, and this is what they found. They found that over 80% of employed Americans feel that they never have enough time. They never feel like, they just say, man, I wish the day was longer. When you ask them, hey, how you doing? They go, busy. I'm busy. I mean, it's good. It's fine. It's good. It's, everything's cool. But I'm busy, right? They just don't have enough time. Social scientists are calling it this phenomenon, a crisis called time poverty. Time poverty. We just don't have enough time. Now, we always have the same amount of time that we always had throughout uh, human history. But for some reason right now, it just doesn't feel like we have enough time. Some of that may describe you. Some of you today are sitting here going, man, that's me. Like right now at church, I feel okay. I'm focused. I'm in. But when I leave here on a Monday morning, I start to feel like, man, I don't have enough time to get everything done that I need to get done. My job is demanding. My school is demanding. I'm trying to carve out a social life. Some of you are trying to carve out a, a dating life. You're trying to get exercise. You're trying to make money. If you have kids, you're trying to get them to hockey, soccer, baseball, ballet, wrestling, climbing, swimming, diving, all that stuff. You're trying to get it all done. You have dreams. You have goals. You have aspirations for your life. But you don't have enough time to get it all done. What do I do when I have too much to do? Now, if you don't know that's you because some people are over busy and they don't know it. They're going, oh yeah, this sermon is for somebody else. But I'm fine. 
But then they're checking their phone about halfway through the sermon. Like, oh, let me just double check. I'm going to give you some symptoms. Last week I gave you 10 symptoms of, 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 of hurry sickness. I'm going to give you a few more today. See if any of these resonate with you. Number one, you have trouble concentrating. Okay. It's nobody. You're all, you're all focused. Number two, you have trouble sleeping. Number three, some of your relationships are strained. Number four, sometimes you're on autopilot. Number five, you're often distracted. These are symptoms of hurry sickness. Number six, it's sometimes difficult for you to make decisions. You have decision fatigue. Anybody ever experienced that where you're like, dude, I can't even make a decision. Where do you want to go to eat? You know what? That's too much. I can't. I'm sorry. I just can't make that decision. I'm just going to lie down right here. Just bring me something and put it in my mouth. I'm out. Number seven, you forget basic things. Come on. I'm sorry, where are my glasses? Babe, I can't find my glasses. Where are they? Have you seen my glasses? Oh, baby, they're on your face. Okay. You forget basic things. Number eight, your spaces are cluttered. Number nine, you wake up tired. You just wake up, and you're just ready to go back to bed. <laughs> Number ten, you can't remember the last time you felt joy joy like man i feel joy you can't remember it's been so long number 11 you feel resentful when i started reading that book by john mark comer and he's talking about man you got to get your pace with jesus i'm like you probably i don't know i'm not gonna tell you what i really thought i thought i thought you're a hippie dude you just you just got nothing to do you're just chilling and you're telling me i gotta be like you i don't want to be like you i've got stuff to do but you get resentful of other people when you're in too big of a hurry. Sorry, that was too much information. Number 12, you check out on screens and technology. Like you just get so overwhelmed. You go, you know what? I just need to check out. I'm just going to pull up Instagram and I'm going to scroll for 45 minutes. I'm going to pull up TikTok and I'm just going to just let all this dance and make me laugh. Oh, wow. That hit, that hit a chord. Number, uh, number 13, you're not taking care of your body. You're, you're just too busy to take care of your own body. And number 14, multitasking is your default. Multitasking is your default. You're doing too many things at once. If that's you, I want to invite you into the pace of Jesus. I want to invite you to learn how to run your race with endurance because running that race at that pace is not going to work and it's not sustainable for you in the long run. You will bonk, you will wipe out, you will fall apart, the wheels will come off at some point if you keep running your race at that pace. So let's look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and let's see how he ran his race. Now I quoted from Mark chapter 1 earlier at the beginning of this sermon, and it talked about Jesus, you know, praying and spending time alone. But what was going on in Jesus' life at that time? This afternoon, I would invite you to go and open your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 1, 2, and 3. Just read the first three chapters of the book of Mark, because here's what happens in the first three chapters. Number one, he heals a man with leprosy. Number two, he heals Peter's mother who had fallen ill. He raises a paralyzed man and completely restores him. He heals a man with a withered hand. He preaches and teaches in synagogues all throughout Galilee. He's healing hundreds of people. He's spiritually caring for people. He's casting out demons. He's teaching his followers. He's addressing his critics. He's building his team. He's developing his disciples. The scripture says that the crowds got so big that he literally could not even go into towns because th they would mob him. He would be surrounded by too many people. His schedule was packed from dawn 
to dust. It's jammed with people who want him, who need him, who demand his time, energy, and attention. And when he's got too much to do, what does he do? Let's go back to the verse. Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went out to a solitary place where he prayed. When he had too much to do, Jesus took a step back in silence and solitude. He went to a solitary place. If you're taking notes, write this down. You cannot pour out what you have not filled up. You cannot pour it out and keep pouring it out and keep pouring it out and keep pouring it out unless you have stopped and stood back and said, let me fill up. God, fill my cup. Fill my heart with your spirit. Fill my mind with your peace. Fill my, 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 my resolve and my soul with your courage and your strength. Give me wisdom, Lord, to know what to do, to take the steps that you need me to take. Let me fill up with you. Now, if, if, if you know me well, and the people that know me well, know that I, I like coffee. I enjoy coffee. I'm not a coffee snob. I'm just a coffee guy. I'm just a coffee drinker, right? I'll drink pretty much any kind of coffee. I just like coffee. I, maybe it's, I just like caffeine. Let's just be real, okay? And in fact, this is how much I love coffee. Uh, several months ago, maybe a year ago, I, I started to have headaches. I started to wake up and feel irritable and groggy. I started to start my day and not and just be unhappy and grumpy generally and not my body didn't feel right and this was going on for like three or four days and I was t telling my wife I was like babe I just don't feel right something's wrong with me I'm you know I'm, I'm sweating I mean I just don't feel something's wrong with me and about the fourth or fifth day I went down to get my coffee I opened my coffee drawer and I took a closer look at the coffee pods that we use and my wife had purchased decaf coffee and I didn't know that so I had been drinking decaf coffee for three days, and I was having withdrawal symptoms, okay? <laughs> so I just said, when, when the real coffee came back, I just felt so happy in my soul. That's, that's how much I love coffee, okay? It almost destroyed our marriage. Let me just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but every day now, I go down, and we have a Keurig, because I'm the only person in the house that drinks coffee. And, and we have a Keurig, and if you have a Keurig, you know that you just put the little pot in there, and you just push a little button, and the coffee comes out. It's very easy. Push the button. So every day I go down, I push the button, the coffee comes out, and then I'm happy, and everything is good for the rest of the day. But every few days what happens is I push the button, and nothing happens. And I go, well, what's going on with it? Let me see. And I push the button again. And then I, re and then I see the little blue light at the top, and it says, add water. And I go, oh, yeah, you got to fill it up if you want to pour it out. Somebody needs to fill it up so they can pour it out. Somebody's been pouring out too much, and God's got the light flashing on your life saying, you need to fill it up if you're going to keep pouring it out. Jesus spent time, in, if Jesus spent time in solitude and silence, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Father, so do you. Now, I know your objections. I know your objections. One of your objections is this. I don't have time. I don't have time. I know, I know that's your objection. But let me, let me gently urge, let me come back at you gently. What's more important than that in your life? What's more important than time with the Father? Is there, is there anything more important 
than life with the Father. When I was working corporate America, it, when I was a junior associate uh, uh, as, as an attorney, if the senior partner said, hey, I want to meet with you, I want to talk with you, I had a lot to do. I had a lot of emails, a lot of research, I had a lot to do. But if the senior partner said, I need to talk to you, guess what? I'm going to find the time to go talk to the senior partner. The senior partner of your life is saying, I want to spend time with you. So you got to carve out some time to be with him. And let me just tell you, it's not for him, it's for you. He wants to spend time with you for you because he wants to give you peace and he wants to give you confidence and he wants to fill your mind with wisdom and he wants to give you courage. He wants you to live a life that is sustainable. He wants you to live a life filled with, filled with joy and abundance. He wants you to feel a, live a life full of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants for you. But you got to go spend time with him. Okay, let's go back to the verse. Back to the verse. Here we go. Same verse. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they ex exclaimed, here's what we focus on, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. If I'm generally available to everyone, I'm specifically available to no one. If you are generally available to everyone at all times, you are specifically available to no one at all times. Because you can't be available to everybody and one person at the same time. You can't do it. When I come home in the evening, and this is one of my favorite things, but even this happened this week because my kids are now on break because they're not in school. So they're all at home. And when I came home uh, this week, literally, like, everybody wanted my attention at the same time. And believe me, I love it. I want them to want my attention, right? I love being with my kids. My, my, son, my son, Jameson, he wanted to show me this new piece that he had worked out on the piano. My son Lincoln had just built a, so, a, a sword out of foam and painted it. And he was like, you got to check this out. So he wants me to go look, look at that. Augustine, my nine-year-old, has learned to do a rainbow with the soccer ball. It goes right over his head. And he's like, Dad, you got to watch this. So, but, but he's got to do it like ten times to get it exactly right. So he's, I want you to watch. Eden had drawn a self-portrait. Dad, I want you to look at my self-portrait. Right? Rebecca's like, hey, let's talk about our days. Right? So we're all, we're, everybody's like, so, so, but I, can't, I can give people little snippets. But, but if, if I'm, if I'm going to give them my real attention, we've got to get alone. And this is why Augustine comes to me and he says, this week, he says, hey, Dad, whispers. Dad, tomorrow morning, let's get up, take me over to the soccer pitch, and let's go play some soccer. I go, okay, we'll do that. Eden comes over to me, whispers. Dad, let's go to the library. Let's go to the U-City library. Let's just, you and me, just do the U-City library. I'm like, okay, 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 we'll do it. You know, Lincoln and Jameson, they're like, let's get some one-on-one -on -one time, Dad. One-on-one, -on -one. no phone, one-on-one -on -one time, right? Rebecca, let's go on our date, right? Everybody knows, everybody knows, right, that in order to be available to one person, you can't be available to everybody. You just can't be, right? Right now, many of us are available to billions of people through a device we carry in our pocket. Oh, my goodness. See, I, I tried to preach this last week, but y'all wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't go along with me. We're available via Twitter, Facebook, Insta, YouTube, TikTok, CNN, Fox, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Reddit. And, and, and we got notifications and bells and dings and whistles and alerts coming in all the time. And when you're generally available to everybody, you're specifically available to nobody. Specifically available to nobody. I've got a long quote from John Mark Comer, but y'all are going to buy the book today, so I'm going to skip that quote so we can keep on moving. People needed Jesus' attention. Simon Peter said, everybody is looking for you. 
Everybody needs you. But Jesus knew, if I'm going to go give my attention to somebody, i got to pull back and give my attention to one. Then I can go give my attention to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else. But I, I, I've got to give my attention to the one that matters most. All right. Let's go back to the verse. Here we go. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. If they went to look for him, that means they didn't know where he was. Here's the point Jesus is trying to make. True intimacy demands total privacy. True intimacy demands total privacy. Okay? As I mentioned already, my wife and I, for 15 years, we've been going on a weekly date night. We go on a date night every, every, every week. We've been doing it for 15 years. There have been a couple times where in seasons where it kind of dipped, and we're like, no, we've got to maintain this. This is important for our relationship. Guess who's invited on our dates? Nobody. Nobody. I love my kids. They're not invited. I love my family members. They're, they're not invited. I love my friends. They're not invited. I love my church family. I love all of you. I love you at Shaw. I love you here. You're not invited on my date. I'm sorry. You can't come, right? Because true intimacy demands privacy. Jesus went to a solitary place where he could not be found because he wanted privacy with God. You can only be intimate in privacy. In privacy. You can't be intimate when you're available to everybody at the same time. If you want to get close with God, if you genuinely want intimacy with God, and if you're here at, at One Family Church, my assumption is that's something you desire. Spiritual depth, spiritual enrichment. You want to actually be close to God. You want to have a real relationship with God. The only way to get it is private time with Him. Private time with Him. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know. I wouldn't even know what to do. An hour alone with God, I wouldn't even know what to do. Like, what do I do? I don't have an hour-long prayer. I'm going to give you some, some real basics today, all right? Here's one thing you can do. You can just, you could just walk outside by yourself alone with God. You actually don't even have to, don't have your ear pods, don't have your phone. Just walk alone with him. And, and maybe you even do something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Maybe you just, maybe you just, maybe you, maybe you just say this. It's, it's your breath in my lungs. And so I just pour out my praise to you today, God. Thank you, Lord, for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the food on my table, God. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the strength of my body. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my friends, and thank you for my church community. And you, 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 just, you just go do that, right? And then you can be quiet. The thing about a conversation is you don't have to talk the whole time. <laughs> That's for another, I got a whole sermon, I got a whole sermon series about that. But you don't have to talk the whole time. You could just walk and just listen to the Lord and just, just l listen to God's nature out there and just be alone with God for a minute. Let me show you another one. Who's got their Bible with them, like the actual hardbound copy? Can I see your Bible, Drea? Let, let, me, let me show you. This is, this is amazing, but this is going to help you. Thank you. You can do this. This is what you can do in your alone time with God. Let's see here. Psalm 78. I just opened the Psalm 78. I don't, I don't even know what it's going to say. So this could go a lot of different directions, okay? Listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of proverb. 
I'll let you in on the sweet old truth. Stories we heard from our fathers. Counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things he has done. You can just sit and read God's word. That was pretty good. I'm going to have to preach that sometime. You could just grab a Bible, read it, and spend time with the Lord. What I'm saying is you don't, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a theologian. You can just spend time with the Lord the same way you would spend time with a friend. Just get alone with God. I'll give you that Bible back, Trey. I promise. I might need it for the second service. Amen. Okay. Okay, let me push a little harder, and then, and then I'm going to close. Sometimes our busyness is the result of a spiritual deficiency. Let me tell you what I mean. Sometimes being busy makes us feel important. Sometimes being busy makes us feel validated. Because if I'm busy, then, then I must be doing something important. Sometimes, sometimes being busy masks an issue that we don't want to face. Right? So if I'm really busy, I don't have to think about the thing that I don't want to think about because I'm too busy to think about it. Sometimes being too busy is an indication that we lack trust in God. I'm going to talk about Sabbath in a couple weeks. And when God would tell people to take Sabbath, he would always remind them, I am the Lord your God. He would say, take a Sabbath, rest. Why? I am the Lord your God. Meaning, you can trust me. I keep the world spinning. I put the breath in your lungs. I'm the sustainer of the universe, not you. So you can rest and believe me, I got it covered, right? It means we don't, we don't trust God. Sometimes we feel like we need to be a martyr in order for other people and for God to like us. And so we just keep grinding. And then we tell everybody how busy we are. Can you believe how busy I am? Can you believe how difficult my life is, right? And, and let me tell you, some people will outwardly, you know, go like, wow, wow, you're really busy, you know? And, and it, it feels validating. But you know what? They're not really as impressed with how busy you are as you are. <laughs> They're going to say that because they know you need you. They, you, need, they need you to say that. You're going to go, man, you're really working hard, huh? But, but when they leave, they go, she shouldn't work that hard. He shouldn't work that. I mean, it's too much. <laughs> Nobody is as impressed with your busyness as you are. Somebody should tweet that. That's pretty good. All right, I'm going to close with this. When, when, when I was a kid, I, I would come downstairs for get ready for school. And my mother would always be sitting by the window with her Bible open by herself early in the morning, early in the morning. And as a little kid, I thought, maybe that's just something old people do. They just, they got nothing else to do. Maybe that's just what they do, right? But over the years, what I learned is that she was in silence and solitude with the Lord. She was filling up by the power of the Holy Spirit. She was ingesting the nourishment of the Word of God. She was being hydrated by the Spirit of God. And, and the way I learned that is because later in life, when sorrow came, and hurt came, and disease came, and issues came. She walked with endurance. She ran her race with endurance. Why? Because she set her eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of her faith. She looked at Jesus, and she set her pace like his so she could run a race like his. I want to encourage somebody today. I want to encourage somebody today, make a commitment. Maybe today your commitment is 15 minutes a day. I'm going to send 15. 15 minutes in silence and solitude with God each morning. 15 minutes. 15 You know how long you've been on Instagram this week? 
15 minutes, right? And then maybe you move it to 30. And what I'm going to tell you is this. Your life will be enhanced by this. You will end up with more time than you did when you were rushing about. You will end up going, oh, wow. There are some things, I'm telling you, there are some things I'm going to delegate. There are some things I'm going to automate. And guess what? There's some things I'm going to eliminate. And the way you learn that is to spend time with God and you figure out what's important and what's not. And pretty soon things just start to fall out of your life and you go, I don't miss that. And it wasn't important and it wasn't bearing fruit anyway. What if we as a church community said, we're going to do this together all summer. We're just going to take time. Every single one of us practicing the disciplines of Jesus. Last week we learned to slow things down. This week we're learning silence and solitude. One hour a day in silence and solitude. Let me tell you what will happen. This church community will be so full of joy, so full of peace, so full of wisdom, so full of confidence in the Lord, so full of the power of God. The scripture says the father who sees in secret rewards openly. In other words, you get with Jesus alone. You get with the father alone. He sees that. And then he allows you to pour it back out. I believe we could be a church that just pour. We would be so different from the world. They would be like, why are they so relaxed? Why are they so happy? Why are they so filled with joy? Why are their relationships so good? Why are they having such a great time with their children? Why are they like this? Because we're spending time with the Lord. Let's be educated by Jesus. Let's learn his word. Let's be associated with Jesus. Let let people go, man, you're one of his. And this summer, let's be imitators of Jesus. Let's imitate his pace so we can run his race. Let's follow him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's check our pace. Bow your heads. Let's pray. God, you're so good. I pray that today our pace would just slow and that we would sync up, link up with you. That we would stop, turn off the distractions, focus our heart and mind on you. I pray, Lord God, that today we would spend time in your word. I pray that we would spend time in silence and solitude. I pray, Lord, that we would look at your people that we would look at the people in our lives that you have placed in our lives and we would give them our full, undivided attention. I pray, Lord God, that all of the rushing and the hurry and the busyness of our life would start to fade away as we focus on you. As you told Martha, there are many things that you can be focused on, but really there's only one that you need to focus on, and that's me. Let us, let us be in solitude with you. Let us be in silence with you. We love you. We thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.